Hello, welcome back to the Stark Raving Ads podcast. Today I was joined by Ruben Turner, who is the Executive Creative Director at Good Agency. Uh, me and Ruben had a great conversation. We spoke all about um, social marketing and marketing for charities, how it differs from normal advertising, how to do it effectively, and how it sort of progressed through the years. Um, it's a really great episode. Ruben is just the nicest guy, um, and it was great to talk to him, and I really enjoyed our chat. Hopefully you do too. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to Stark Raving As. Today I'm joined by Ruben Turner, who is a creative director, executive creative director, sorry, at Good Agency. Ruben, how are you doing today? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, a little bit grey and rainy here in Brighton, supposedly sunny Brighton, but it's all fine. Well, it's uh, it's equally grey and rainy up in the northeast of Scotland, which is what well, well, we're expected to have. Mm-hmm. That, that's not a surprise. Um, why don't you kick us off by telling us um, about what you do at the moment? So I am um, Exec Creative Director at Good Agency. So that is a creative agency of 50-plus um, people um, that's really dedicated to social good. So I oversee the agency's creative offering, but also kind of get involved in strategy and storytelling and, um, you know, working with clients basically to um, – to kind of to, to help people understand and value the good that they do yeah okay um how did you get into advertising what was your your sort of route in it was a really odd one you know I left college uh, in the 90s not really knowing what I wanted to do I knew that doing something creative was kind of on my radar but I didn't know what that was and I fell into a job client side actually I was a, became a copywriter at a big tech company um which i really enjoyed uh and then i from there you know not a not quite a quite an easy decision to go into agency world where everything would be more um flexible you know and from that point i went i went to um proximity london which i think is just about to be absorbed into rap but at the time was the the sort of creative um hot shot for the kind of direct world and I worked there for eight years and, and, and really got into um, all kinds of things. But really, I you know, my real passion was in, was in looking after the charity accounts there. Um, and that's kind of where I ended up, how I ended up here, really, in a way. Yeah, OK. I can see how that came about. Um, so, yeah, what, what, what drew you to the agency side? Was it just the diversity of agency work rather than working for the same brand all the time? completely that yeah so and it's one of the things that i love about agency world even in an agency like ours that specializes is you're working in completely different subject areas every day and you know i've been at good for longer than uh you know well over a decade and i was at proximity for eight and a half years and you learn different stuff all the time you know from how margarine is made to (laughs) how cars work to you know what's the best way to solve um hunger you know to um learning about different diseases you know and how they how they how they can be cured one day or also you know all sorts of issues really you just you, you just get to soak it all up and I, I find it endlessly fascinating yeah i think that's i mean advertising people must make excellent quizzers because the amount of background knowledge that they'll have on like the weirdest products and things in the world um, it must be it must be pretty useful to know all the the background into 
you know, as you said, how margarine's made. It's a, a pretty diverse range of knowledge. Yeah, I think that's a really that's a really good point. And and I think, you know, I would say that the best advertising people are like that. You know, they're just sort of endlessly curious. And I think in a way, you know, you you look at advertising sometimes and, and a lot of people who work in it seem to think that advertising is the subject, you know, if you like, and they get into the theory of advertising and strategy and marketing so much that they forget that, you know, life itself, if you like, is the subject because um you know, we're always talking to human beings and we should be interested in what human beings are interested in. Yeah, I was reading um, How to Do Better Creative Work by Steve Harrison recently. Um, and he talked about that. I think it's, I think it was Howard Gossage quote where it's like, people like reading what interests them. Sometimes it's an ad. And I think some advertising can forget that people don't go about their day looking for adverts, looking for what I buy today. Adverts are bombarded in in any case and like you really do have to be interesting or stand out to even get noticed because people people don't go and look for ads unless you know they work in the advertising agency industry sorry absolutely and in fact the first creative director i worked with who's a guy called nick moore or work for that was one of his favorite quotes you know and he used to say it a lot and it really was absolutely true and and especially funnily enough working in the field of direct you know it was much more about you're actually invading people's homes sometimes you're you know you're coming yeah. into their world through their post box or you know onto their computer or you know even over the phone or, or whatever it is through them with a kind of direct thing and it's like you better be interesting you know mm-hmm. nobody wants a a boring salesperson turning up at their door either literally or metaphorically so you better have something interesting to say yeah i guess the direct route's even harder because you're almost starting off from the back foot because you've as you said you've sort of invaded their home or their you know, whatever space. So they're already starting off with a bit of a negative attitude. Oh, what's, you know, what's this leaflet or, you know, what's, um, what's this thing? So I guess that's even harder to overcome. Yeah, absolutely. And I always thought, you know, I, I, the, the thing that I loved about um, Direct originally and initially was that the range of kind of formats and devices and things that you could do just seemed to keep evolving. And you could always find more ways to be more interesting, you know, which I really, really liked, which, um, which, you know, it, I, I'm justifying because I haven't had a long career making television ads as some people have. But but in the world of television, you know, it feels like that's what you've got is just that format. Whereas I always felt indirect. There's like so many different ways to reach people and intrigue people and keep interesting people. Yeah, definitely. Um, so how do you define good work? I think, oh, that's really good. Um, that's a really good question. So I think my definition has changed a, a lot over the years. I used to think a lot that it was about finding interesting ways to tell the truth, you know, rather than um, kind of fictionalise or exaggerate, which I think is where a lot of advertising goes. My re- yeah. Recently, my definition has really changed to say that it's really about impact. You know, good creativity is creativity that's, that's doing something that the world needs. So I would say, you know, it's on the side of the audience. It's not exploiting them, extracting from them. It's not cheating them. It's not lying to them, you know. But at the same time, it's trying to achieve something that the world needs. So it's, you know, finding a way to make doing the right thing desirable, exciting, easy, you know, whatever it is. So I I genuinely believe, you know, creativity now has a role in fixing some of the world's biggest problems, um, not just selling more stuff. 
Yeah, I'm definitely. I think it's um, it's really interesting. Uh, books like I'm presuming you've read Nudge by um, Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein, which is all about um, yeah, basically how we can use principles of advertising and behavioral science and nudge people to do the right thing or save more money or donate to charity, whatever it is. It's yeah, I'm, I'm so fascinated by that whole you know behavioral science approach i mean let's not get sidetracked into it because it's a bit of a long debate but i'm like you know what's the stop nudge theory being used to sell terrible products which i think it probably has done so i think they position it as this social good thing but that's not really baked into the theory because ultimately it's about getting people to do things that they don't want to do um yeah and then so i'm like you know it's perhaps fortuitous and then i'm like sometimes I'm like well where is it you know we've just been through the worst pandemic um in recent history and uh the UK which supposedly has this kind of nudge unit on side in its government to do all this brilliant stuff has failed spectacularly and I I don't understand where the nudge theory is all gone in that case yeah I think that's a very good point because I think yeah the government's been quite open about how they're used in uh, sort of the nudge unit and whatever but there's been a lot of um behavioral change that they've tried to enact with you know be it telling people to stay home or telling people to wear a mask or whatever it is then and, and they've had a lot of compliance issues so yeah it's maybe not as airtight as they think it is or anyone thinks it is yeah probably a subject for another time <laughs> yeah it's, it's that behavioral science is a massive rabbit hole that i'm always happy to jump down um I think uh, sort of Roy Sutherland and his books and talks on the subject are absolutely fascinating. But that's it's not why we're here today. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit about um, how do you get? Um, so you talk about purpose on your website. So how do you like d- derive a brand's purpose and start working towards uh, purposeful advertising, as you call yeah, it? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think we're still seeing a lot of brands doing. Um, what I would call CSR, corporate social responsibility, and dressing it up as purpose. So I think they're doing, you know, we're going to reduce the harm that we do. We're going to reduce our emissions, you know, whatever that is. I think purpose has to be much bigger. Um, and purpose, as originally defined, is almost like a human characteristic. It's it's somebody saying to themselves, well, what am I here for? Um, what difference do I want to make in the world? What's the one aim I want to go towards? And I think it's about applying that thinking in a corporate context so that um, a brand can have a much higher aim rather than just a kind of collection of initiatives. It's sort of one thing that they're going to push for and aim towards and that everybody in the organisation knows and gets behind um, and um, that can kind of kind of bring them bring them to life, if you know what I mean. So I think it's... Um, it's definitely uh, a goal. I think it's been really interesting in the uh, the pandemic era, you know, how many companies have sort of been able to shift really quickly to say, this is how we're going to help. And how many companies have gone, uh, oh, we don't really know what to do. You know, we're not really involved. So I think, I think having that purposeful culture really does enable people to, um, to do the right thing, you know, when, when, when uh, the going gets tough. Um, I would say you absolutely have to build it around impact. You know, what's the impact you want to make rather than what's the statement you want to make. Um, And you have to be able to prove it. And then I would say, you know, it's really clear that you have to think about what you do as a company and how your purpose can 
be built around that and enhance it. So, you, you know, you can't just pick a random purpose, I think. That happens yeah. to be the thing that, you know, the founder really likes or that's the cause of the moment. It's like, why are you, why this company, um, uh, what case can you make for it and like, what can you actually do about it? Yeah, so uh, when a brand comes to you, do they typically have a purpose or is this something you sort of work through to find initially together, like a sort of North Star that guides Ideally, you? the latter. You know, it's uh, it's really good, you know, when, when brands come and say, look, we have an ambition to do good. We've got this range of um, initiatives. We really want to think about, you know, how we can we'll pull it together and, and, and come up with a higher purpose. And that's always obviously much more kind of stimulating than if they've they've kind of already gone through the process and derived it but it can work either way to be honest yeah it's quite similar to um i was speaking to vicky ross last week about tone of voice which is a similar sort of thing where brands again need to find their identity and i guess this is a, a different a, another sort of element of their identity which would be you know what's their purpose what are they yeah what's their north star what are they trying to achieve what are they heading towards as a absolutely and i think there's such a big debate you know that goes on in the sector about how far that purpose should go so should it go into actually changing the products you manufacture you know and the things that you do should it change mm-hmm. your corporate culture and the way that you you hire an employee and, and work with your staff you know should it change your communications like what you know what what facets of the organization should it go into and 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 clearly you know like tone of voice it's more successful the more consistently it's applied, you know, it becomes the thing that, that you become known for. And great brands have that thing where, you know, I'm sure Vicky talks about this, you know, you can cover up the logo, you know, you can take away the design elements and just by the way that they, the way that they talk, you know who it is and, and kind of purpose should be like that too, really. Yeah, I like that. Um, do you think it's trending more purpose, less purpose? Do you think the pandemic has... You know, has that accelerated the, you know, brand striving for purposeful sort of meaning or, yeah. I think the pandemic was a massive challenge to brands that sort of said, right, our purpose is going to be X. Because when a pandemic hits, it's kind of like, well, right now it needs to be Y. You know, you need to actually shift and think about what you do and you need to have a degree of kind of flexibility. So, you know, you could take an organisation like BrewDog, you know, they've clearly sort of, they've now kind of got back on board with their, their overarching thing, which is about um, becoming um, carbon negative and removing, you know, going beyond carbon neutral and removing all the carbon that they've ever generated and having this amazing climate-based bit. But in the pandemic, they had to go, right, we're making um, hand sanitizer in our factories, you know, and we're going to turn over our brew dog bars to become vaccination centers, which they're trying to do. So they, I think brands did have to sort of shift and change. And I think, in a world that is more and i think the same could be said of the black lives matter moment you know um which which hopefully is more than a moment which is when brands said oh we need to we need to answer this question now that society is posing us so i think you know in a world that's becoming more and more chaotic you know brands do need to have that sense of flexibility and being able to ask the questions that are on the table right now i think purpose is an overarching um aim hasn't gone away i think it's generational so i think younger generations of of consumers and stakeholders and shareholders and business owners you know are asking themselves those tough questions about the world they want to live in um, and i think the ultimate thing is 
you know, it's the climate crisis that's really going to drive purpose because it's going to be like, you know, if you don't have an answer to that massive overarching problem, then you're not going to be around. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I think you see, um, I know they always, it's always such a cliche when people talk about, um, the, you know, the younger generation of consumers or whatever, but I think there is definitely, it seems to be that younger people, and they're maybe not even into the consumer market yet, you know, they're still sort of under 18, but sort of the generation of people slightly younger than me, I'm 24, they definitely are a lot more um, climate conscious than obviously my generation and then each generation increasing. I think it's getting more and more awareness, but they're brought up, they've been brought up with uh, the climate crisis and everything else being very much at the forefront. And I think they are probably more conscious when choosing brands and liking brands, you know, are do are they doing good? Are they, maybe not, maybe not such a moral thing, a morality um, or ethical, but like, you know, are they like Brewdog? Are they, you know, do they talk about um, tackling, you know, carbon neutrality or, are they, you know, sourcing their things responsibly? I think that's definitely something that younger generations and obviously each generation to come afterwards will be more and more acutely aware of. Yeah, I think there's such an interesting shift because often those generations, you know, as you say, they're not necessarily in the market. They're not voting in elections, you know, which is why we have this massive um, discord between the sort of political class, if you like, and and political leaders and a lot of society. Um but also, I think you're finding, uh, you know, people in their 30s and 40s, maybe, who are now becoming shareholders in companies, people are working in companies, people are leading companies, are asking themselves these kind of questions. So it's a big, it's a big shift. And I think one of the big audiences for purpose, if you like, that's often neglected or misunderstood is the organization's workforce. It's like, who do you want to attract into the workforce? Mm. How are you going to attract the best and brightest and most passionate people you know, it's by helping them um, work for something that they believe in, you know, and treating them really well. Um, and the same, actually, with shareholders. You know, when you're finding big investment groups around the world disinvesting in, um, you know, in unfashionable brands, disinve- disinvesting in, you know, um, fossil fuel brands or brands that um, don't behave in the way that they want to, you know, that's where power lies. So it's not just about consumers. I think people in marketing tend to be obsessed with consumers and, Maybe there's a very good reason for that. I don't think yeah. that's entirely, you know, but behind the, um, you know, the the purpose shift. Yeah, that's no, a very good point. I know there's already there's um, sort of ETF investment funds that you can invest in that are like green companies or companies that are signed up to some green charter or, um, you know, they're ethically good. So there's already, as you say, that sort of segregation where people are. Um, much more aware of yeah, it. Yeah, quite often, so, I, you know, sometimes you see the example of Unilever way back when in the Paul Pullman era, you know, one of the, they set themselves a, a number of different targets, you know, for their turnaround, in, including, you know, carbon emissions and um, uh, decreasing deaths by, you know, communicable diseases and stuff like that. But one of the um, one of the targets they set themselves was, was, um, was graduate employment. They were like, we want to hire the best people and this is going to help us, you know, increase the, our talent pool. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, carry on. No, it's okay. Um, so to move on, how do we change behaviour through an advert? If you're talking social marketing or charitable, ad, um, you know, advertising, how do we get people to, you know, feel something, donate to a cause, whatever the call to action is, 
just through an advert, be it TV, radio, poster, or whatever. Yeah, so I think I think once upon a time, I think you know where we've shifted is um, at one point advertising was just all about kind of benefits. So it was you know if you look at all financial advertising ever, you know when I was working, it was all about rates and stuff like that, which fundamentally don't really excite people. Um, then it became about emotional benefits. So it became about um, how does this make me look? How does this make me feel? You know, this product. And I think there's a lot in there for um, advertising about um, causes and other things is that is that people ultimately do do things that, that make them feel good. Um, sometimes that's worrying because it's about stuff that makes them feel uh, more powerful, more secure. You know, it's about reminding them how badly off other people are and I, I don't necessarily think that's always a good or sustainable model forward and then I think increasingly people are more aware of the power of community so it's much more about what um what are we all doing together what can we all achieve collectively um what is um what is the way that culture is heading and how can I be part of that so I think there's there's definitely now much more of a you know a, an appeal not just to sort of individual agency but to actually like people understanding the power that they have collectively to make change. Mm, yeah. And so when you're creating charitable advertising, a lot of, I guess, the stuff that gets the biggest coverage, which is a bit of survivorship bias, I guess. Um, but, you know, some of the better or best work um, in charitable advertising is the sort of really hard hitting, really, you know, quite gritty um, sort of shock tactic stuff. How do you balance out, shock tactic advertising when i guess there's an argument to be made that people are desensitized because they've you know been exposed so much to it how do you balance out sort of shock tactics and then just you know interesting insights or emotional sort of connections or yeah and i think the, the in the world of fundraising and charity you know people tend to bounce between two poles you know one is about um being as as kind of shocking you know um and upsetting and guilt inducing as you can and the other one is kind of you know being a bit kind of sunshine and rainbows about everything and, and making everything um out to be great um which tends to be a bit anodyne and the truth is you know neither of those things are really the right way to go i think it's absolutely about truth telling i think it's about having massive responsibility i think one thing that i will say is that audiences now are just so much more um aware of the realities of the world and i just don't think you can do this kind of poor starving african um uh advertising or marketing anymore because people are kind of they know that the world is more nuanced you know they expect that um somebody um who lives in malawi you know will be able to pick up a camera phone and tell their own story you know um rather than always be kind of uh, represented so i think there's a big there's a big shift in um in how we do that in in audience expectations of what the world looks like um need to be much more honest uh yeah so i think it's um you know i think it's it's just all about finding ways to to tell the truth you know in a resonant and responsible and emotional manner yeah yeah i mean yeah, that all sort of um, sort of checks out. Um, but you've got to cut through, you know, you've got to get people's attention and everybody from the birth of time, you know, in advertising has always said, if nobody sees your ad, 
um then it doesn't matter how good it is you know or how clever it is or whatever it is you know you have to get attention i think it's that's just increasingly difficult in a world where you know there are more and more asks there are there are a lot of um corporate brands behaving like charities and 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 producing kind of emotional work um channels are shrinking you know and i think it's um it's increasingly difficult and I, and I do think that comes back to the power of brand you know having a great brand story um and the story to tell about why you're different um feels increasingly important to me yeah i was going to ask about that because obviously with social media and things um it's so easy to share you know stories articles blog posts news whatever it is that you stumble across so and it's obviously, this is obviously a net positive for the world, which is that, as you said, we're more aware, you know, there is, you know, if there's a problem anywhere in the world, it's pretty hard to keep it under wraps. Like, uh, it, you know, a lot of, I guess, issues in countries that maybe wouldn't have hit the mainstream in the past um, have, you know, I've seen people, you know, with support for things going on in Yemen um, things going on, obviously, in China and, you know, all across the world, it feels like, if there's an issue somewhere it's being amplified which is obviously a really really good thing that people are more aware and can support more causes you know it's not just people in yemen asking for support from neighboring countries you know people in britain can you know sign petitions or donate money and make change which is obviously great but from a you know individual charity point of view how do you yeah i guess the challenges how do they stand out how do they you know you're competing with so many different causes from literally across the world how do they stand out how do they is it just this brand sort of story, as you said? I think it really helps, you know. So we definitely had a period, I would say, you know, in the 80s and 90s when charitable advertising pretty much all looked the same, you know. So anybody that worked um, in overseas development, you know, the, the the photography, the tropes of that advertising would be the same. Same if you were an animal welfare charity, you know, or you were a disability organisation. It's like all of that all of that work would look the same. And now I think it's about, yeah, differentiating, having a different story, you know, finding a different way to tell your story. And I think you're absolutely right about that, um, that access to information that we now have. And we see events happening in, you know, unfolding in, in real time. You know, we watch um, live streams of, as you say, the Hong Kong protests, you know, or the, um, the you know, the forest fires in Australia, you know, and we're seeing it happen right before yeah. us like all the time and it can be quite overwhelming you know and i think it's up to um charities sometimes and ngos to give people back a sense of having agency in the world you know being able to actually um participate and change things rather than feeling really helpless all the time because i think that's often where we um can end up yeah definitely i think a lot of people can you know you can absorb the news between I mean, this is even before, you know, COVID-19 mm. was even a problem. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, because all these things are trying to get their thing out there, but they're all obviously uh, quite sad stories or, or negative stories. It can be overwhelming. It's like, oh, God, like there is so much, um, you know, bad yeah, things I, happening I, in the world. I think it's so interesting that because it's, you know, the news cycle has massively taken off. You know, we're really overwhelmed with stories and, and the coronavirus moment you know the news will always carry stories of people um you know going to illegal raves or like you know having massive weddings or you know break politicians or pop stars breaking the rules the news it never carries is that the majority of us are doing what you and i are both doing now which is sitting in our 
in our lonely front rooms looking out at the rain and doing the right thing you know and actually there needs to be a bit more i think yeah. in the sense of we need to build a bit more of a narrative about how actually incredibly kind generous positive socially minded most of us are yeah well it's quite an interesting point you made there because um having read into quite a bit of behavioral science there's social mm. proof and there's negative social proof and the more you show people um, or, you know, tell stories or make examples of people breaking the rules, the more people go, oh, it's OK to break the rules because, you know, people are doing it already. And you get that and it ends up working against you where, you know, you try and make an example of someone by being like, oh, look at this, you know, legal rave, as you said. Um, but actually, they just make more people go, yeah, oh, people are having a legal rave now. And so you've got to be careful with the, you know, highlighting, OK, this is bad without actually reinforcing um people to think oh this is normal uh, absolutely and i think i think you know going back to that bit about government communications and so on you know sometimes i think they they sort of um neglected to understand you know what amazingly social beings we are you know and just the i you know i miss this from this stage of lockdown but if you remember the first stage of lockdown the amount of people you know, making little short obstacle courses on the pavement, writing really nice positive messages in their windows, putting up um, yeah. rainbows, you know, and doing all of those things that were like this real outpouring of kind of love and concern and compassion for one another, I think is, um, yeah, absolutely. I think, it, you know, it's something that we, um, that we, that we neglect really. And I think as marketers, we sort of forget that that exists. You know, we tend to think of, of people as being quite sort of rational and um, into their own sort of personal um, self-benefit. And actually, it, moments like this remind you just how community-minded people can be. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, a great point. Wonderfully put that first lockdown was, and even, yeah, like sort of from the first lockdown through almost into the summer where things also got a bit lighter and things opened up. But yeah, the, as you said, there was a real community spirit of a, you know what, we're in this together, everyone's sort of suffering uh, the same or, you know, at least similar. Um, and it did tap into that sort of mm. spirit as you were as you're speaking on. Um, so what would you say are some tips for students for social marketing or charity advertising? Most of what sort of regular advice is or the, the mainstream advice and in books is mostly uh, aimed towards mm. you know, product marketing, mm. how to sell more cans of pepsi or whatever how do we you know what are some tips for students that we can do to avoid as you said the tropes of the 90s and 80s and the shock tactics how do we do more effective i think yeah and it's really interesting because you actually i actually see um work in students books sometimes that wouldn't be out of place in that world you know and it sort of aims to shock um and i i think that's the wrong way to go you know you've got to be socially responsible and think about um say you're writing an ad about um loneliness in older people it's like how would you feel reading that if you were 80 and living on your own you know you've got to have some absolute compassion and empathy um for audiences built in um and some sophistication i think a, a great brief you know for most students is to look at um brands famous brands or up-and-coming brands and say what role could they have in solving some of society or the world's problems you know and how would you make a campaign around that or create a new product or you know a product offering or an extension and you really i really often see really innovative work you know that comes from that sort of mindset 
I think work that's really generous, you know, I always say, you know, look for stuff that's really generous and is really um, kind to um, kind to audiences and consumers, you know, and not exploitative and stuff that's really um, is about uh, brands, whether they're charities or corporates, like doing really good things um, for others, because I just think that is stuff that now gets brands um, unwarranted shares of attention, you know, and unwarranted um, sales like that's really good. And it's really PRable. Um, yeah, those I think are the main points. And also, I think, you know, don't be afraid to actually approach charities and businesses with your ideas. I mean, there are a lot of charities at the moment that are a bit stuck. You know, they, they've got budget issues. They've got staff on furlough. You know, they're missing things and they're looking for innovation. So I, I would say to students, don't be afraid. If you have a great idea, don't be afraid to, to try and approach an organisation with it. I think they're getting, you know, it's what's always impressive in a student's book where they like, oh, I had this idea and then I got it made, you know, and that's always like, wow, that's, uh, mm. it, it, it really speaks volumes. Okay. Um, just before we wrap up, do you have an example of your favourite uh, or some of the best charitable advertising you've seen maybe the last year, year or two. You can be as biased as you want. It can be from good agencies. Oh, I'll give you a couple of ones that just spring to mind really nicely. I mean, NSPCC has had a reputation over the years for doing very hard-hitting work and sometimes feeling a bit institutional and feeling a bit like a comfy cardigan. But they brought out an ad in the summer, an animation, which was about um, – which had the Radiohead creep theme tune uh, as the as the music, and it was about how you know nobody's normal and everybody thinks that they're weird and different, and that if people find out about it, um, they'll be ridiculed. And actually, everybody is weird yeah. and different. And I just thought it was so beautiful and perfectly poised and perfectly you know true. The insight was incredible, and it was beautifully done, and it really stood out. I thought that was great, you know, and a great example as well of lockdown filmmaking. You know, doing an animation. Um, uh, which what well, I could I just thought that was one of the loveliest things I'd seen from a from a brand that's so established and a bit as I say a bit familiar. It really made you think again. I thought it was great and really empathetic. You know, I think that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about that kind of advertising. That's not about going to an audience. Oh, look at these children that are having a terrible time. That's about going to an audience. Look, you know, imagine yeah. how it feels. Um, and I, for that reason, I, I thought it was perfect. And I think that everybody, you know, has loved the recent thing that AMV have done for Macmillan, you know, which is all about that experience of of losing somebody um, uh, brought to life in a way that is just incredibly crafted. You know, the music is incredible. The casting is incredible. The editing, the everything about it is just the most gut-wrenchingly emotional piece of film. I think it's a great reminder of what sort of traditional craft can still achieve when you see a subject like that and you think there can't be another way to get that sort of story over in a more emotional way and, and yet they've done it so i think those are a couple that are that are absolutely worth looking at one you know is again it is is a bit it's different and it's and it stands out and it's unusual and it's odd and the other one is just classic craft and they're both they're both really nice examples of it Yeah, I mean, thank you very much for these. I'll link um, the YouTube links to both of these um, in the show notes for anyone that's not seen them yet. And then I think just quickly to blow our own trumpet, you know, we we produced this thing for a charity Absolutely. called Sense who who work with uh, people with complex disabilities, so often sight loss, hearing loss, 
um, and different disabilities combined. And we made this thing called Sign School, which was um, a, uh, a a 15-year-old uh, who has sight and hearing loss um, teaching the nation sign language. And that just massively took off, as you can imagine, during the pandemic, because people thought it was a good thing. But again, it was a great way to disrupt stereotypes around disability. You know, here is a, a, a disabled young um, teenager taking charge, you know, and we put him in the driving seat and we based everything around his personality. And I think that's a, that's a different way to do that kind of charity marketing, if you like. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Yeah, I love that. It's very... Um... Yeah, very, very empowering, especially, you know, it can be tough being a kid with these sorts of things, but what a great um, way to, to highlight it and almost make it yeah. into a, a positive form. Okay, um, where should people go if they want to hear more? From uh, I would have a look at the Good Agency website. We're also um, doing a series called uh, Change Conversations, where we're bringing together different people from the corporate and um, charity worlds to talk about how the world um, is evolving. Um, I think that's a, that's a really good place to go. Uh, 